So if you if you if you ask to a a, a basic scientist right now the question, do you believe that the leaky gut syndrome exists? Probably he or she will answer, no, it does not exist. But if you answer, do you believe that gut permeability can be modulated so that sometimes the gut is leakier than in some other times and this can create problems? You probably will hear an answer of, yes, I believe that that's a possibility. This week on Science for the People... We are busting the human gut wide open with Dr. Alessia Fasano from the Center for Celiac Research and Treatment at Massachusetts General Hospital. Join our discussion separating fact from fiction on the controversial topic of leaky gut syndrome. We are covering everything from what causes a leaky gut to interpreting the results of a gut microbiome test. With me is Dr. Alessia Fasano, the W. Allen Walker Chair of Pediatric Gastroenterology and Nutrition and the director of the Center for Celiac Research and Treatment at Massachusetts General Hospital. Alessia, welcome to Science for the People. Thank you for having me on the show. Can you start us off by breaking down for our audience, what exactly is leaky gut syndrome? Well, the definition, of course, depends of um, who will eventually ask the question to. As a matter of fact, some people believe that, you know, this uh, syndrome does not exist. And to put this a little bit in, in context, um, the fact that, you know, the barrier of the gut um, is dynamic, it's a relatively new concept for the streamlined science. You know, complementary medicine has been always aware that this is a, a, a an, an entity that has that din- dynamic capability to modulate permeability, while the quote-unquote established science has been always skeptical on the matter. And the skepticism even grow higher um, when uh, eventually this has been defined as a syndrome, like it's a separate disease. And, and I believe that the evidence here we're accumulated right now seems to suggest that that's not the case. With that premise, the bottom line is the following. The intestine is covered by a single layer of cells that until this recent past, we thought they were cement each other. Um, so that the only way to interact with the external environment, uh, I, whatever comes through the GI tract, was through the cell and not in between cells. It's been in only the past 20 years or so that we realized there is no cement in between cells, but there are very dynamic structures, sort of gates, closed most of the time, that, that um, are called tie junctions. And therefore, because they are gates, is in, in you know, implicit the concept that they are dynamic and therefore these gates can be open and close. If they are open for too long, that will have clinical consequences and you can develop a variety of conditions and diseases depending on who you are, genetically speaking. So that's the bottom line, the essence of the leaky gut syndrome. So what controls whether or not the gates are open or closed? <laughs> this is definitely the most challenging question to answer because once we agreed, and again, it took a while, that these structures are dynamic, who makes this structure to be open and closed and eventually open for too long to the point in which we develop diseases has been an object of discussion that's far to be settled. However, I think that, you know, the three key elements that seem to have you know, strong scientific evidence that can make the intestine too leak are the following. One, 
if there is a, an imbalance ecosystem in the gut. So the microbiome is off balance. So what we call dysbiosis. That's one possibility to have an increased permeability of the gut. Number two, a variety of um, pro-inflammatory cytokines, chemicals produced during inflammation, can increase gut permeability. And last, definitely not least, um, a, a protein that is called gluten, that is the trigger of a variety of conditions, mainly acidic disease, that uh, has some fragments that are undigested, they are capable to eventually induce increased gut permeability. These are so far the three elements that we found uh, to be involved in increased gut permeability. Like you've just mentioned, it seems that research on this particular condition is relatively new. It's an emerging topic in the field of gastroenterology. So how did researchers come to discover the occurrence of leaky gut syndrome in humans? Well, you know, again, as typically happens um, in a situation like this, most of the discoveries in the uh, arena of leaky gut um, has been serendipitous. So um, looking for something else, and then eventually you realize, you know, that the um, intestine has this dynamic capability to modulate uh, its permeability. I can share my, you know, experience. That's definitely one of the many of serendipitous finding, and and in a short, you know, um, you know, synapses to make a very long 25 years story short. Uh, all the story started with uh, making a vaccine for cholera, so nothing to do with the leaky gut. Um, and when I produced this vaccine um, that was, you know, working, uh, you know, supposedly well, because the only weapon that cholera uses, i.e. this toxin makes this purging diarrhea, was eliminated uh, in this vaccine, patients did not get this severe diarrhea, but still have the residual diarrhea that made the vaccine unacceptable. So the vaccine per se was, you know, a failure. But then, you know, trying to answer the question, why there is this residual diarrhea, we discovered toxins that makes intestinal leak. So in other words, they increase the permeability of the gut. And uh, so that, that was, you know, again, for my personal experience, the first, the first encounter on the concept that intestine can be leaky um, if, if the structure uh, in between cells are modulated to remain open for too long. In this case, second to a toxin. And then trying to understand the mechanism, how this toxin makes intestine leak, we got more and more insights of the machinery that is very complex that you have to put in motion in order to have this structure in between cells to open up. And therefore, we reason if we have such a complex machinery, uh, that means that we must have the system that we physiologically decide sometimes to uh, put in motion so that we can modulate the permeability of the gut. And in reasoning that, we look for, you know, who modulate the permeability of the gut and finally, almost 20 years ago now, we found this molecule called zonulin that is a, remains still the only physiological modulator of permeability of the gut. So in other words, this is the molecule that we use to decide if and when to open the structure for how long. Can you tell me a little bit more about zonulin and its role in the gut microbiome? Yeah, so zonulin, as I just mentioned, is a sort of the key that opens these gates. 
um, or a remote control, whatever you want to you, you know, uh, use as a, as a comparison. It's a molecule that tells the cell, listen, you need to open up the space uh, with your neighboring cell because you know we need to make stuff to go back and forth through that space. Um, and, and again, we, we now know um, much more than we knew before about this molecule, the pathways, what kind of signaling in the cell is activated to make the you know, the structure to become more permeable and so on and so forth. And, you know, um, so bottom line, we know a lot about the physiology of, um, you know, uh, the, uh, the modulation permeability by, by this molecule. But as typically happened in physiology, when you push this to the limits, you end up in pathological situation. And in this case, we ask ourselves, where are the pathologic stimuli that will make zonin to be released in an excess amount and therefore making the intestine too leaky for too long and, and created the syndicate for, you know, switching from genetic predisposition to a, a clinical outcome uh, that translates in disease. And one of the key elements, probably the strongest stimulus to release zonin is indeed dysbiosis. So in other words, the microbiome off-balance may eventually be the key element that will lead to increased permeability of the gut secondary to release its zonulin. How do people acquire the zonulin protein? Is it through diet? Oh, no, no. There is a, a you know, as we produce insulin, for example, to control glucose level, uh, we produce zonulin to control permeability. And the permeability is not just the permeability of the gut. There is a family of zonulins that control the permeability of the gut, the permeability of the kidney, the permeability of the lung, the permeability of the blood-brain barrier. So this is a molecule that we produce, uh, uh, you know, uh, as a consequence of, you know, the needs to make this barrier to be permeable. And like insulin, uh, production is really dictated by the level of glucose that you have in your blood. For zonulin, its production is, is um, you know, triggered uh, by uh, external stimuli. It, it, for the gut being, you know, the dysbiosis I was telling you before, and, you know, the um, gluten protein, uh, two of the stimuli that create that, that, that uh, upregulation or release of zonulin. A lot of the issues associated with leaky gut syndrome have to do with this connection between the gut microbiome and the immune system. Can you explain how that connection works? Oh, well, actually, <clears throat> yeah, uh, the, the, this connection is very tight and strong. And it's due to uh, the fact that we now understand much more than we did before the complexity of the basis to develop diseases. You know, in the past... We believe that in order to develop the disease, uh, the two key uh, necessary and sufficient elements were genetic predisposition, so you have to have the gene to be predisposed to develop, I don't know, cancer or, you know, an autoimmune disease, whatever. And then the second element was the exposure to an environmental trigger, something in the environment that on a specific genetic predisposition will lead to the onset of these conditions. We now know that these are still elements that are necessary, but not sufficient. And there are at least other three elements uh, that will be necessary uh, to develop any disease of humankind that has a, a, an inflammatory con connotation. And pretty much all diseases they, they have 
inflammatory component. So you have to be genetically predisposed and exposed to environmental trigger. Those, again, are necessary. Then the third element, indeed, is the loss of battery function so that this, this environmental trigger, this instigator inflammation, gain access in our body because under normal circumstances, if the permeability of the gut or any other barrier is well controlled, they can't come through. The fourth element, by definition, is the immune system that you ask for. And the reason why, because we're talking about inflammation, so you have to have an hyper-belligerent immune system. And the fifth element is, again, the composition, and most important, the, co- the, the function of the microbiome. Now, these last three elements, this triangulation between the you know, permeability, immune system, and microbiome, seems to be extremely interconnected, and they influence each other big time. For example, if you have dysbiosis, that will increase zone release and therefore will increase gut permeability. If you increase gut permeability, and this pertinent to your question, there is a, 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 an excess trafficking of molecules coming from the external world into our body. And if the immune system is exposed to the enemy, enemies, uh, it will, it is built to fight and to react against these invasion enemies. And when you fight, there is always collateral damages, inflammation. And if you have an immune system that is hyperbelligerent, your gut permeability increases. So it's all interconnected. But, you know, to, to make it bottom line, you know, direct answer to your question, if your gut leaks, there are a lot of stuff that comes through. The immune system is under the exposure of these elements, and therefore this will lead to uh, an increased immune response that will lead to inflammation. Sounds like there's a lot of complex interactions at play when it comes to leaky gut syndrome. And it seems like this syndrome is becoming very prevalent in society today than it was, more so that today than it was in the past. I don't know if that has to do with breakthroughs in research or if it's just a greater prevalence of the syndrome itself in society. And you mentioned um, one of the underlying causes being envi- changing environmental factors. So do you think this change in the environment is the most significant cause of leaky gut syndrome becoming more common today? I believe this is a combination of one, increased awareness. Again, even people that are skeptical now understand a little bit more about, you know, this uh, situation that uh, the leaky gut it can be an integral component of, uh, you know, diseases. But also because, as you mentioned, uh, there is a clear change in environment um, that it's more prone to uh, eventually uh, create a dysfunction of the system. Uh, one for all, uh, you know, for example, diet. Uh, you know, of course, we don't eat the way that we used to. We eat junk stuff. This creates dysbiosis. And as I told you, dysbiosis can increase gut permeability through the excessive release zone. Just that... Just the fact that we don't eat the way that we used to um, will justify, you know, the, the fact that now we see more and more cases in which a, a, an impaired barrier function of the gut can be a key element of, of conditions that, um, you know, uh, can vary from, you know, uh, a, a, an acute infam- inflammation to autoimmune disease to neurodegenerative disease to cancer. These are all conditions which and increase gut permeability. And again, people, they don't like to use the word syndrome because syndrome means we don't know exactly what's going on. When we start to have knowledge 
uh, then, uh, you know, this will not become a syndrome, but will become a syndicate of a key element together others why you develop these diseases. So if a change in our diet is a big part of the problem, do you think controlling our diet in different ways would be the solution? Well, I believe that now there are, you know, increasing, increasing evidence that changing the diet can be one of the key elements, the most effective elements to mitigate this, uh, you know, um, uh, epidemics of this chronic inflammatory disease in which a, a, a leaky gut has been, uh, <coughs> you know, hypothesized or approved. Um, you know, of course, you know, proving that the diet per se make these changes uh, will require some, uh, you know, um, very stringent work. And, you know, because this doesn't translate in any kind of asset that can bring revenues, uh, to industry, for example, there is no much of support from industry for something that will come for free, uh, like the diet. Uh, so, um, you know, that's, you know, that's the key elements that is slowing down, uh, the progression of our knowledge on a matter. Nevertheless, I have to say that, for example, for, you know, situation of chronic inflammation, like, uh, you know, um, irritable bowel syndrome, I mean, um, inflammatory bowel diseases like Crohn's disease of ulcerative colitis, uh, that are typically treated with, uh, you know, anti-inflammatory drugs in the past steroids. Now we use biological and so on and so forth. Now the prime, prime intervention. So in other words, the really, you know, first intervention that we do is a change of diet. And this change of diet, uh, change the microbiome composition that eventually will ameliorate the release of zonulin and therefore the loss of barrier function that will translate in decreased inflammatory process. So once again, you see how interconnected everything it is. And in this case, nutrition can change the microbiome composition that can change antigen trafficking that can change the immune system in terms of producing inflammation and therefore taking control of the disease. What if your gut barrier is already broken down? It's been damaged over the course of years, maybe even decades. Uh, so is it still possible in that case to repair that barrier through a change in diet and maybe taking supplements? So, you know, again, uh, no matter how old are you, your gut is always seven days old. And the reason why, because this single layer of cells is re rejuvenated every week. So we have very active uh, stem cells in the gut that eventually will be capable to, um, um, you know, replenish, replenish, you know, the damaged cells. And therefore, you know, new cells are, are efficient in any kind of function they are supposed to do, including the barrier function. So, you know, the, 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 the problem is not that you have now a damaged, you know, organ like intestine that you cannot repair anymore. This is extremely dynamic and systematically can be changed over time, depending on, you know, how you will eventually uh, provide the key elements to maintain, you know, this cross-balance checks between the gut microbiome the, the, the immune system and the barrier function in a physiological state of mind, so to speak, so that you can uh, diminish the risk of developing inflammation. 
That is very good news for me <laughs> in particular. Uh, I should disclose that I have a personal interest in this topic because I do believe it's a condition that I may be experiencing. Uh, I suspect that I don't have a, a fully intact gut barrier because I've had moderate eczema for the last decade. Also, mm. I've noticed that I tend to get very tired after eating a meal. It's like digesting food takes a lot more energy out of me than it should. And I've had other minor but chronic digestive issues as well. So I recently took a gut microbiome test from a company called Viome. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, what do you think about companies that offer these gut microbiome tests with personalized results? I think this is the way of the future. The, the challenge that we have right now, uh, like this company, any other company that offer microbiome analysis, is that, you know, uh, first of all, the technology to, to test the microbiome is there, so that's not a problem anymore. Uh, the technology to test the microbiome in an economic way is there, so that's, that's affordable. Um, so um, the, the problem is the interpretation. So in other words... You know, what a, a microbiome that has a certain composition means. And, and again, the, the, the major problem that I believe has been creating a lot of confusion is, oh, you know what? We take a certain number of healthy individuals, so we will know what is the quote-unquote normal microbiome. But it's no such a thing. You know, we, we develop the composition of microbiome based on our personal needs. I, you know, who are you? And what kind of genetic makeup you have. Because what is constant in all of us is that we have to attend all the same functions. That's out of discussion. The same metabolic function needs to be attended in order to stay healthy. And, you know, the question is, you know, how, you know, do that? Uh, so how we are capable to maintain the constant function of, of these metabolic pathways um, and, and the answer is only by having a good symbiotic relationship between the host, particularly its genetic makeup, and the microbiome that will be able in um, interacting with our, you know, genome to really make sure that these metabolic, you know, function are attended in a proper way. What I explain is a very complex concept that is called epigenetics. So, like every kind of door has, you know, a way to get in with a specific key. So for us, if I my door, I imagine genome is different than yours, by definition, the key that opened my door, so the ideal microbiome is different than yours. Saying that, you know, what is the normal microbiome, it's like to say, what is the normal length of hair, of the color of the hair? That's, you know, there is no such a thing. It's very personalized. So when you go to this company and say, okay, I look at your microbiome and I see that uh, it's unbalanced. Unbalanced compared to whom? To what? And we don't have that kind of information yet. We will, over time, doing some modeling, particularly machine learning, understand, you know, for on a specific genetic background, what is the good microbiome that keep us healthy. And, but that's for you or for me. And when we do the analysis of the microbiome, then the question is not for quote unquote the normal people out there, but for me as an individual. Did I depart from what is my ideal microbiome to attend those specific metabolic pathways 
that will keep me healthy or not? That's the question to answer. So maybe what I think you're getting at is that in order to benefit from these gut microbiome tests, maybe it would help to take these tests multiple times over a period of time while you're attempting to change your diet, maybe to see if that has an impact on your own gut microbiome. Correct. That's that's indeed the future. So okay. the future is, you know, to have this uh, genome and microbiome analyzed when you're healthy, and that's to tell, okay, this is when everything goes well. And then eventually, if you develop a disease, then to do the test and then see, well, th- what this translates in terms of, you know, the composition of functional microbiome. Can I relate this to uh, changes that can put me off balance and therefore create the problem that leads to inflammation? And if that's the case, now you have a target for intervention. Okay, so this was actually the first time I took any kind of tests like this. Um, I, and I thought I would just describe the results of my test to you, just to see what you think. So um, my test results um, came in different forms. I have a very long list of microbes that are active in my gut system. Then I have a list of gut processes that I can score good, bad, or okay on. So I'm mm-hmm. guessing that they compared these scores to the average or the good gut microbiome. Uh, so for me, more than half of the processes on the list fall under bad and are identified as issues for me to focus on. So there are 10 of them that are bad for me. I'll list them for you. Uh, digestive efficiency, intestinal barrier health, protein fermentation, overall gas produ- production, methane gas production pathways, sulfide gas production pathways, ammonia production pathways, putrescine production pathways, uric acid production pathways, and finally, biofilm chemotaxis and virulence pathways. Does any of that information mean anything to you? Yeah, I mean, as I told you before, when we look at, you know, a specific, you know, situation in terms of the interaction between the microbiome and the host, what we look at is, you know, how these interactions translate in metabolic, you know, function that we want to be preserved. So if you have, you know, excess methane production, if you have the body function jeopardized, if you have your immune system that's suboptimal working, that means that this interaction is off balance. The problem remains that you can't make this kind of statement unless, you know, your own genome, how your microbiome interact with your genome, and how this translates eventually in outcome that can make you sick. So that's the kind of information that we don't have yet. These are educated guests that, you know, these companies are putting on the table. I'm pretty sure in the future we will be able to be more precise and, and, and evidence-based, but we are not at that stage yet. Okay. I also received a list of my superfoods, foods to avoid, and supplements I should take. So how much confidence would you say you would have in the research backing up these recommendations? Once again, um, we will be there, but I don't think that we're there quite yet because we don't have that kind of information that can guide in the process of understanding, you know, um, what kind of food intervention we have to, uh, you know, go for in order to ameliorate, you know, this dysbiosis. For example, if you have, as you mentioned, you know, uh, excessive gas production or, you know, methane, excessive methane, uh, you know, um, metabolism, uh, there are specific microorganisms that do that for a living. 
they are methane producer. That means that, you know, you need to put them in disadvantage to decrease their abundancy by, you know, eliminating the food that it, they typically thrive on while giving the other food that other microorganisms they use to try to calm and balance the microbiome. But we are not quite there yet in terms of this kind of information that can, you know, really guide this process. We will at some point, but we are not quite there yet. Okay. I look forward to it. <laughs> um, so do I. So uh, I know eczema, my personal health issue that I, I thought would be associated with leaky gut, um, I know eczema is not has not been proven to have a direct link to leaky gut as of yet, as far as I know. Um, but I'd like to ask you how you think leaky gut could manifest itself in a symptom like eczema. Well, again, um, you know, the, the, any kind of inflammation, they have the, the same original steps. So you are, first of all, born with some genetic makeup. You are exposed to an environmental trigger that can induce inflammation. This trigger may come into your body uh, through a gut that is too leaky. Uh, that would instigate the immune system to uh, generate inflammation. So those are, you know, common denominators of any disease of humankind. From there on, there is a split. So in your case, when the immune system is activated, so these immune cells are seen the enemy, and therefore they are ready to fight and generate inflammation, rather than to stay on the battlefield, i.e. the intestine, they are programmed to leave the intestine and go somewhere else, in this case, the skin, and generate inflammation there. And we know this is a fact because a lot of these inflammatory cells in these different districts, the skin in your case, or I don't know, the pancreas for type 1 diabetes, or the joints for rheumatoid arthritis, these immune cells, they have um, on their surface some um, expression molecules uh, that tells us, I, once upon a time, was homing in intestine. I was leaving in intestine, and then I left intestine, and now I'm here, generating inflammation here. We've touched on this briefly already. I'm sure you realize how leaky gut syndrome is a controversial topic that many people consider to be pseudoscience. Uh, why do you think that is? Well, I believe, first of all, because the term has been used and abused by some, you know, healthcare prof professionals, particularly complementary medicine doctors, and, 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 you know, pro, uh, professional, you know, healthcare, you know, um, figures. Um, and, and again, uh, you know, you lose credibility when you claim that everything that goes wrong in, in, in the world is due to leaky gut. Mm. Um, plus, at the same time, uh, this is due to the fact that some of the canonical, you know, uh, scientists, uh, they were so close minded that they didn't see the possibility that this may have some elements of truth. And when you have these very polarized discussions, um, you know, there is always, you know, uh, some that say, you know, that uh, the, the scenario is black and some that say the scenario is white. But as you know, you know, life is made of grace and not these extremes. And as you know, uh, books are write, written by the winners and not the losers. And, you know, the winners in this case have been always the scientific establishment that had the capability to make very clear out there that this was voodoo science. Now, you know that there is some strong basic elements 
to believe that, you know, the gut barrier is permeable, there is dynamic, that is involved in a variety of conditions, even the scientific establishment start to be a little bit more open-minded. Still skeptical about this uh, concept of uh, leaky gut syndrome as a, a separate entity that I also believe that probably does not exist because I believe in these five pillars. You know, if you have just leaky gut and nothing else, probably you will not develop any disease. You got to be genetically predisposed. You need to be exposed to a specific instigator. You need to have an immune system that is hyperbelligerent. And you need to have a, 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 a microbiome off balance. And as I mentioned before, they're all highly integrated. So if you have a leaky gut, it's almost for sure that the immune system is hyperbelligerent and your uh, microbiome is off balance. So for that reason, I believe that if we just slow down and step back a little bit, and say, you know, let, let's let's be integrated here, and let's, you know, be open-minded. Uh, and you ask in a different way. So the question, I believe there is more agreement than you can imagine. So if you if you if you ask to a a, a basic scientist right now, the question, do, do you believe that the leaky gut syndrome exists? Probably he or she will answer, no, it does not exist. But if you answer, do you believe that gut uh, permeability can be modulated so that sometimes the gut is leakier than in some other times and this can create problems, you probably will hear an answer of yes, I believe that that's a possibility. So, see, same concept, expressed in mm-hmm. two different ways, you have two different answers. That is a very good point. Uh, and I know that you personally have conducted research on the connection between leaky gut and um, behavioral conditions like autism or schizophrenia. So I'm curious about where that connection comes from. Well, again, um, you know, the connection comes for the new concept, and I'm not an expert in the field by any stretch of imagination, that even behavioral issues are the consequence of, of inflammation, in this case, inflammation in the brain or neuroinflammation. And therefore, you know, I don't think that modern nature does things too complicated. If, you know, to develop inflammation in the gut, there are these five pillars. If you have uh, the same five pillars involved in uh, the inflammation of your joint or your kidney or your liver, why the brain should be a difference? And we look into that, and sure enough, we found that kids with uh, autism and subject with schizophrenia, not only they have an increased gut permeability, but they also have simultaneously an increase in the blood-brain barrier with the same machinery, including Zonlin, being involved. So, for me, this is not too much of a surprise. So, I'd like to know how exactly research on leaky gut works. How do scientists in the field of gastroenterology go about conducting research on the presence and the impact of a leaky gut in humans? Yeah, this is one of the key elements that makes science complicated because if you have an idea but you don't have tools to study and to challenge this idea, you can't conduct, you know, meaningful experiments. And when it comes to humans, you know, experimenting humans, you know, there are some, you know, ethical or deontological rules to be followed. So you can't do some stuff that eventually you can do in animals. With that said, one of the major shortfalls for the studies of leaky gut in humans has been a, a test, a biomarker, to measure gut permeability. There are some tests 
they are, you know, very complex, uh, like the double sugar test or lactose manual test. Now there is a test for Zonlin that is commercialized now for a while um, that, you know, have been used now more and more frequently, more in, in, in research setting than, uh, you know, in clinical setting that will come later probably. Uh, when these tests will be even more strongly validated. So, but the bottom line is that, again, these are the kind of tools that we use to study if, indeed, the, the intestinal barrier lost its function, um, you know, um, linked to a specific disease. And that's how, you know, the, the field has been expanding in linking, you know, a variety of conditions with this, um, you know, leaky gut. Now, you know, again, the question remains, is the leaky gut the cause of the disease or the consequence? Because you can make an argument that you develop a disease and as a consequence, your intestine leaks. Um, you know, this is very, very difficult to answer in, in, in humans, but in animal models where we can control much more all these variables, we have the evidence that suggests that, uh, you know, a loss of barrier function comes before the onset of the disease. And, and again, supporting the notion that is one of the five key pillars that you need, uh, you know, um, inflammation. That leads to another question. Uh, a lot of the research on leaky gut uh, that is published is published in papers and peer-reviewed scientific journals that are not accessible to the public. So how can the public find accurate information about leaky gut? Yeah, that's another major problem. Uh, of course, as you know, more and more you know, uh, journals, they, um, you know, advocate for open access. Um, and, 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 you know, even government like, uh, the NIH here, that is the institute in that the United States supports the vast majority of research. They impose that if you use public money, you need to make your results publicly available. And therefore, when you publish in a, in a journal, you need to make sure that the journal will make this a free access. Um, so that's definitely the move in the right direction in terms of gaining access to this information. I have to say that, you know, compa- comparing uh, to, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, the scenario is much better now because now we have access to Internet that, you know, can give you, uh, the, you know, a snapshot of the world out there. The challenge and the caveat there, though, is that some of the information um you know, uh, on, 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 on the web, to use a, a, a term that now is used in abuse are fake news. So in other words, they are not validated, uh, they are exaggerated and so on and so forth. So personally, I would advise that, you know, just reading the blogger that say, you know, that, you know, if you take a substance X, you fix your leaky gut or the leaky gut is involved in such and such disease. I will always rely on peer review papers and journals and, you know, uh, more, uh, you know, reliable uh, sources that are unbiased, they are objective, and will tell you the things the way they are. Yeah, that was kind of what I was getting at. I think this is a really big issue to resolve um, because, you know, even if research results are published and are available to the public for free, that information is really difficult for the, pu- for the average person to understand. Anyway. True, true. And so a lot of these people, they are getting a lot of their information from blogs written by people who have no business writing these blogs because they're not familiar with the research, they're not doing the research. Um, 
So yeah, I think this is a bigger issue, and I personally, I wouldn't know what the, the solution is. That's right. Well, the solution is what we're doing right now. You know, shows like yours are really mean to bring down a few notches from, you know, scientists that, that, that speak a total different language to an intelligible communication to translate to the general, you know, audience. What exactly leaky gut means? What are the consequences? You know, whatever we discussed today. Um, this, this is the best vehicle possible in which you take a reputable show and uh, you invite the reputable speakers that will give you reputable and, and validated information uh, as unbiased as possible. I think that this is a great place to end our interview. So I have one more question for you. Alessio, can you tell us where our listeners can go to learn more about your research? Well, again, and they can definitely go to our, you know, website. Um, we have, you know, um, a website that is specific for celiac disease and a website that is more for our research enterprise that encompasses many of the things that we discussed today. Uh, so I am the director of this, um, you know, uh, mucosal immunology and biology research center. Um, we are very active on social media. Uh, so we have almost 20,000 followers. It's, of course, we're not talking about median, but we're not talking about a small number either. Um, uh, many of the stuff that we discussed today um, uh, are in what we call vlog, so video blob that we put out on uh, YouTube. So you just, you know, Google my name and YouTube, and some are very short, two minutes, straight to the point. Some are, you know, much more you know, extensive, uh, you know, presentation, and there is something on the leaky gut as well out there. Um, and, you know, again, um, you know, um, through our website, Google my name and, and, and look at YouTube, you will definitely find, you know, a, a lot of information that can be pertinent to the discussion of uh, the uh, matter that we uh, covered today. Alessio, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for inviting me on the show. If you want to learn more about Dr. Alessio Fasano and the Center for Celiac Research and Treatment, you can check out his links on our website at www.scienceforthepeople.ca. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Science for the People. Science for the People is listener-supported. You can find us on Patreon, where you can support us with monthly donations in any amount. Your support keeps us afloat and able to keep making great new episodes, and we thank you for it. The show is produced by Rochelle Saunders and edited by Ryan Bromsgrove. We get help with special projects from K.O. Myers. Our theme song was written and recorded by Fractal Pattern, and its title is Binary Consequence. The show is hosted by Bethany Brookshire, Anika Hazra, Marion Kilgour, and me, Rochelle Saunders. <laughs>